Welcome to the Lift Church podcast. We pray that this message encourages you and inspires you to live up to your God-given potential. And yeah, we, we are in a brand new series today and it's so good to see so many people here. Rooms nice and full and uh, yeah it's it's uh, we, we just I just want to take a few seconds just to thank every person who helped make our Easter experiences happen there was a lot of work that went into it and people inviting friends when this place is full there's just such a great vibe about it and uh, I think we can just kind of uh, get a great atmosphere happening and so it's good to see everyone back here again and yeah, it's going to be good. And over the next four weeks, uh, we are uh, kicking off a series, and we had a bit of fun with this title, um, and we're calling it How to Win Friends and Stay Married. And uh, it's going to be really cool. I, I heard a few people excited, a few people like, what are you going to be talking about? Um, we're not talking about speed dating. You will not, I can't guarantee you'll have a husband or wife after this series. Um, but we guarantee that you will have practical tools to help you win in relationships. That's the whole point of it. Uh, when Beck and I first started to uh, think about Lift Church, we, 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 we went through this process of trying to find some values that we could put down on paper and to then go we want to build a church around these values and um and one of the values, and we haven't actually put it all together because we decided to uh, allow the church a little bit of time to breathe and kind of explore who we are actually going to be becoming. So we haven't put it on paper, but one of the value statements that we wrote down that we love is that we do family like Italians. <laughs> lots of love, lots of food, and lots of laughs. And we're loud. I don't know. There's this whole bunch of stuff about Italian families. And it's kind of funny because Beck's Anglo-Indian, I'm Chinese, and we're like, we want to be Italians. <laughs> uh, it's just the way we, we roll. And uh, I hope that if you've been part of the family for a little while, you, you, could, you can see that we really do uh, love our food. We do love get it, gathering together. I love that on Good Friday after the dawn service, people were staying for an hour and a half just so that we can get to know each other over some um, egg cups or, or mini omelets, whatever you want to call them, uh, quiches, uh, okay, we can throw quiches in there, not very Italian, but that's all right, <laughs> and it was great, people are doing that, and, and, and I think that's something that we love hearing when, when we have visitors uh, coming to live, uh, we're hearing people saying, man, I, I was just so welcome, there was never a moment I was left alone, uh, there was always someone wanting to get to know me, and that's what we want, we want family, we want you to come to this place and actually experience life-giving community. And at the same time, Beck and I were talking about this just this week. It feels like, for those who've been on the journey for a while, it feels like we've got to a place where the honeymoon stage is over. You get what I mean? Where... Um you know, people used to not be able to do anything wrong. It used to be every person that came to live was absolutely perfect. It was not a pimple out of place. It was amazing, and we all loved each other. You're quirky. I love that. But seven months on, I think we are beginning to see, I don't like that pimple. I don't like the way that you did that. I don't like the way that you said that. And the honeymoon is starting to wear off, and we're starting to build authentic community. We're starting to build a true family, because we all know that every family has at least one family member that you don't like. 
It always has that one person that can just get on your nerves and is able to just get under your skin. We all have that kind of people and we have them in this church. It's great. That's what makes family. We're not perfect. We, we don't always look as shiny as I do right now with that light straight in my oily face. Um, it is not always going to be nice and pleasant. There's going to be things going on. And that's why we need to learn how to do family. And in the midst of talking about our family, I'm hoping that you're able to take these practical tools back home and to be able uh, to enrich your life, your relationships. And, and today we are going to be talking about something that I believe is absolutely central to relationships, any relationship, and it is communication. If there's no communication, there is no relationship. Would you agree with that? Yes. You can be in the same house, but if you're not communicating, that relationship is going downhill. You can be married for 20 years, and if there's no communication, there is no relationship. Oh, maybe there's a relationship, but it's not a good one. And, and we need to learn how to communicate. And something that is really prevalent in today's world is that communication has changed. It has changed rapidly. It's changed hugely. And it's mainly because of technology. It's mainly because of social media and all of these new things and new toys that we have. Um, and, and so I'm going to talk a little bit about that today. I'm going to unpack it. And from there, I'm going to be talking about some guidelines for con communicating in real life, IRL. If you are one of those young people that loves abbreviations, we're going to be talking about how to communicate IRL. I'm probably just going to say in real life. It's so much easier, isn't it? Um, but studies have shown that the way that we've changed, and this is not Christian studies. This is real live um, um, scientific studies. Our communication has rapidly changed, and some of it for the better. I know that there are some people probably in this room that would go, I don't like the way that communication is going today. It's, it's all like on screen time, and I hate this. But in real life, there are some real benefits of the technolo technological changes that we've seen. For example, if you can see on this slide, um, what we've seen is that in workplaces, uh, productivity and morale has increased, whereas costs of running businesses have lowered because of uh, technology. And, um, and as you can see, uh, the bottom one, it actually talks about how people can communicate with family. And I know that for my family, when we moved across from Singapore 15 years ago, my family, my mum and dad wanted to keep in touch with their family, and it was a lot easier, rather than sending a homing pigeon, a message pigeon back to Singapore. We don't know whether it's actually getting there or not. But now we've got emails, we've got FaceTime, we've got Skype, we've got all of these things. And, and with as Australians, many people working fly and fly out. You know, technology has allowed us to continue to keep some kind of communication going. It's actually a positive thing. And, and, and another positive is that we actually have a lot more information. Well, I guess this one's a bit of a neutral thing because it can be good or bad. But at the end of the day, each one of us is able to find out a lot more about the world, about what we are actually interested in or things that are important to us. You don't have to go to a, a guru. You don't have to go to a university. You don't have to go to someone who's lived a hundred years to gain knowledge from them. You can type into Mr. Google and it teaches you everything you need to. It can be a positive. But at the same time, one thing that has been radically changed because of technology is that we are communicating face-to-face -face in real life a lot less. In between 2008 and 2013, the average phone call 
decrease by 50%. Uh, 50%, half. The phone calls that we are having is halved. I don't know whether that's because there are a lot more tele telemarketers around and the moment you hear uh, uh, an Indian voice on the other side of the line, you hang up and that might radically change the, 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 the length of phone calls. But in the, at the same time, that is radically changed. In five years, it's 50% shorter. And in, this, uh, in the same amount of time, Actually, no, I want to read another stat. Between 2000 and 2010, in 10 years, text messages increased by about 1,250%. In 10 years, 1,250%. And you probably notice, if you've got a phone, and whether you're on prepaid or whether you've got a plan or something, it used to be that you look for the plan that has the most talk time. But now you look for the plan with the most text time, data, whatever you want to call it. Um, we don't talk anywhere near as much. And it is really interesting, I came across this quote from uh, uh, Dr. Paul Booth, and he was writing about this change in communication, and he actually said this, there has been a shift in the way we communicate. Rather than face-to-face -face interaction, we are tending to prefer mediated communication. We rather email than meet. We rather text than talk on the phone. Anyone experience this? We prefer mediated communication. And because we are living with so much mediated communication, I'm wondering whether in our lives we're experiencing a change and maybe even a, 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 a degrading of the way we communicate in real life. I'm wondering whether we're actually having problems talking to a person face to face and holding real conversations in real life because we are so used to having something in between us, passing the message along. And, and, and we, we prefer talking to screens and, think, and, and facing screens than facing one another. And so today, I want to talk about how we might be able to uh, deal with some of these challenges that we have in today's world. Because this is a, is a, is a real deal. This, this, this can be a real deal breaker because we might not actually be having the level of relationships that we are meant to be having. I was watching Star Trek, uh, the, the, the movie last night, and, and um, I don't know if you watched it, it's got Chris Pine and um, some of the dudes in there that I don't know. Um, there's the old Leonard Nimoy. I do not know Star Trek, by the way. I am not one of those space nerds. And um, I'm sorry if you are, I did not mean to offend you. <laughs> It's, it's the way I'm a young person and I, I, I don't know how to filter. It's the way that technology has changed my... No, I've gone too long. But I was watching the movie. <laughs> I was watching the movie and uh, there was this scene where uh, Captain Kirk meets up with future Spock. I don't know if you watched the movie. If you haven't, I'm sorry. But it's actually a really great movie. But spoiler alert. Uh, but he meets future Spock. And future Spock has this conversation with him and actually kind of sort of lie to him um, to, to force Kirk to go back to the USS Enterprise and to have this confrontation uh, with, with current Spock. And, and so uh, Kirk does that, he gets back on board and he has a biffo with Spock. Spock nearly kills him, uh, strangles him, and, and at the end of the movie, so everything works out kind of well, you got to watch it for yourself, but at the end, current Spock meets up with future Spock. 
And, and they, they had this conversation, and Spock actually asked Spock. I'm sorry, it's really confusing, but Spock talks to, to, to Spock. And uh, he says, you could have easily done all of that without causing Kirk and I to fight or have that conversation. And I'm not quoting it word for word, but future Spock said, yes, I could have. But I realized the importance of the relationship and the partnership that you and Kirk are supposed to have. And if I intervened in that, you would not have that relationship. And I'm wondering whether for many of us in our lives, because we have a mediator coming in between us and the people around us, we are missing out on true relationships, true partnerships in our life that are meant to enrich and embolden us, to help us to live out the God-given call of our, on our lives. We have to realize that God has a meaning and purpose for each and every one of us, but that meaning and purpose always comes down to people. It always is done in the context of relationships. It's always done in the context of the people around us. No kingdom purpose is ever accomplished in a vacuum. No kingdom purpose is ever accomplished by ourselves. And I'm wondering whether because we prefer mediated communication, we don't know how to build true relationships in our lives. And so today I want to give you three guidelines uh, to help you navigate conversations, navigate communication in your lives. And all of these are going to be anchored in Philippians 2, 1 and 4. And it says this, If there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you not only look to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. See, one of the biggest problems with technology is that it dehumanizes situations. When we have a mediator between us and another person, what we are finding is that we don't often see or, or think about a person on the other side of this media. We dehumanize them. And in the process of dehumanizing the person on the other side of, of this communication, we start to say and do things that in real life you would never do. We start to say and do things with a, with, with a lack of a filter, with a lack of an understanding. And what this has caused in our world is that there has been a radical drop in empathy. Between 2004 to 2014, uh, there was a whole bunch of studies done on empathy and, and someone corroborated them, put them all together and found that between those 10 years amongst American college students, empathy, the ability to think and understand where another person is coming from, ability to connect with another person, within those 10 years, empathy fell 40%. 40%. 
people are nearly half as likely to be able to connect with another person. And that is what technology is doing to us. We are talking, but we're not really talking. We are communicating, but we're not really understanding. We are having our time with our mediator rather than our time with the person that we are supposed to be connecting with. At the same time, business leaders and coaches are unanimously coming back and saying, one of the greatest predictors of a great leader, and we want all of you to be great leaders wherever you are, and one of the greatest predictors is emotional intelligence, EQ, the ability to think and communicate with another person. EQ is important for us to be able to be leaders, yet our current generation are not able to connect as well as they should be. That is a real problem, and that's why we need some guidelines here now in this community. We can make a difference, and we can change that around. And so the first thing that I want to bring to you is this. Now, this is probably going to be the simplest one. I don't want to spend too much time on it, but the first thing is this. Schedule meetings. If you want to communicate with people, schedule it. If you want to connect with someone, put time aside. In the world that we have today, there's so many things that spontaneously come to you. And there's this idea that if there's a real relationship, you will somehow spontaneously find yourself in the same place and having a conversation. How many of you know that that's not true? My best friend lives in Singapore. And when he moved back to Singapore, uh, I found that, yeah, this is, I thought, yeah, we'll be calling each other up all the time. Doesn't happen. I, I, I'm ashamed to say that my best friend in the whole world, I probably talk to him once every two months. Why? Because life gets busy. Life gets full. And maybe not always full with the things that are truly important. Because Netflix and Facebook do take a lot of your time, doesn't it? You can be sitting at home and instead of having a real conversation with the person that's literally in the same house, you're scrolling through that phone. You're watching that show that you don't even care about, but it's filling up your time. If you truly want to meet with someone, if you truly value a relationship, you need to schedule it in. It doesn't lessen the relationship if you have to schedule a catch-up two weeks' time. It doesn't. It actually tells the person, I value you enough so that I want to absolutely catch up with you. It's happening. I want that. And therefore, I'm going to put it in a calendar and it is going to happen. So that's the number one guideline. In the relationships that you value, in the relationships that you want to build, you need to schedule it in into your calendar. But that's a simple one. Um, Let's, let's keep going because the other two I'm a lot more excited about, but scheduling is important, not fun, but important. It's one of the things I actually hate the most about my job. If you guys could come to me and schedule all the meetings, I would love that. I would just go and have the coffees and meet up with you. But when I'm the one that has to send a text message out, I sometimes get lazy about it. And I know that. It's a real struggle. The struggle is absolutely real. But I'm learning how to get past that because I value you. And I value people enough to say, I need to put you into my diary. I need to make this happen. Our paths are not just going to magically cross. I need to make this happen. So schedule it. The second guideline in having real communication in real life is that there is 
give and take. There's give and take. It's not always about you. You see, what, I, what I've learned and what I'm seeing is that we go through our lives with a take mentality. And so this morning, let's say, this is the friendship table. All right, just imagine this is the friendship table. Imagine my stuff is not there. What we tend to do in our lives is that we come to the table and we see something we like or we need and we take. I need that. And what happens is that the other person comes along to the friendship table and they're like, oh, I like that. I'm going to take that too. What ends up on the table, ignore the iPad, but what happens on the table is this zero-sum relationship. There's nothing going on. There's no need for me to be at that table anymore because I'm taking what I want. In fact, there's nothing in there that looks nice to me because I don't want that. I don't need that. And so we end up glossing over relationships that God has placed in our lives because we look at the table and we think that there's nothing there. That's what's going on in many of your lives. That's what happened many times in my life where I've glossed over relationships because I thought that person had nothing to offer to me. But what really needs to happen is that we need to come to the table and, and, and say, hey, I want to give. I want to be able to give. I want you to be able to get something out of this relationship. That's how you invest into a relationship. You come with a willingness to give. And when both parties are coming with a willingness to give, then there's something on the table to talk about. Then there's something worth it in this relationship. And now the Bible, remember that verse that we put up, it says, look not only to your own interests. Now, if you're in a relationship that constantly just gives and there's nothing back for you, you're just going to dry up and that's not good. We want healthy relationships, but healthy relationships start when both parties are coming to the table with something to give. But I want to just talk quite quickly about what it means to give in a relationship. Can we do that for a second? Because I think uh, that, that many of us, when we hear that, it's oh, I've got this gift in doing this, and i got that, and so I've got some spare cash lying around, so I'm going to buy me some friends. That is not the giving that I'm talking about. What happens in this give-and-take relationship is that you look past the table, and you see the person on the other side, and you see what needs, what interests does this person have that I can help along with. Does that make sense? I, I studied counseling about five years ago, and I found out that I'm not built to be a counselor, and that's why I'm a pastor. And um, a part of the counselling uh, thing that we do is that I thought, I thought that counselling was a lot about me coming up with really good advice and helping another person out. What I learned about counselling is that you do nothing of that sort. You sit there, and you listen, and you listen, and you listen, and you help that person find the insight that they need. In fact, they tell us you should not use any of your experiences or your stories. Don't. Don't talk about your stories unless it absolutely brings home the point that needs to be said. Don't give your story. And I thought that I was the best counselor because God's given me a, an ability to sense pat, patterns and to be able to give insight. I was like, I'll be the best counselor. I'll be like, here you go. 
200 bucks, please. Um, you know, that, that, I was, that, that was kind of my mindset about counseling. But as I was listen, uh, listening to this, as I was learning about this, I was like, when we think that we've got so much to offer and so much to give, we stop looking at the person and we're looking at like, oh, look at me. I'm so good. Look at what I'm putting down on the table. But when we look past the table, we see a person and we see the encouragement that they could use. When we see uh, the, 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 the comfort that they could uh, be needing in that moment and we say here take this no strings attached I want to be able to give that's when the table of friendship starts to become full so maybe one of the things that we need to ask in our lives is what am I bringing to the table am I truly thinking about the needs of the other person or am I simply thinking about what can I get from my relationships? See, the media has changed this so much so that we're always thinking about me and what I have and what I need. But the Bible clearly shows us that's not what the Christian walk is about. That's not what an abundant life looks like. You see, the thing about getting what you need is that the more you get, the more you think you need. There's never enough money. There's never enough affirmation. There's never enough value. There's never enough of what you think you need. When I get to that level, when I have someone that does that for me, then I'm going to be fulfilled. I've been married for three years, and I'm learning that Beck cannot fulfill all the desires of my heart. Why? Because she's not God. She's not a dispensing machine that just simply stands there and says, Take. It is not how relationships work. But yet in our lives, we are going around looking for the secret magic pill that is going to solve all the problems in us when we are being told by God give when we are told by God look not only to your own interests so that's the first guideline there is give and take is not always about you and finally the third guideline another one I really love could talk about this for ages but I won't but we need to build for the future Build for the future is not about getting more likes. Part of the technology uh, revolution that we're seeing, I'm just going to move this table. Part of what technology has done in our lives is that we um, are now able to have a healthy meal, take a picture of that meal, post a little statement saying, living healthy, day five out of 30, and you're going to get 50 likes. We have gone into a place where we can get a lot of attention and affirmation through media, through technology. And that is absolutely changing the way that we think and the way that we live. See, what happens when you get a little like or a comment or someone affirming you online? What happens physically in your mind, in your brain? What happens is that two uh, main hormones get secreted into your brain. The first is dopamine and the second is oxytocin. You don't have to write this down. I'm not going to test you on that. Uh, but we get these two hormones uh, secreted into our brains. And, 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 and just simply speaking, dopamine is your pleasure hormone. It makes you feel like you're doing like you're having a good time 
That's what dopamine does for you. The other drug is oxytocin. Oxytocin makes you feel the warm and fuzzies. It makes you feel loved. When you get through this pattern and habit of living where you are constantly getting this instant feedback, your mind is actually becoming addicted to getting more dopamine or getting more oxytocin. You're actually starting to live your life looking for likes. That's actually what happens. And a, 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 a Psychology Today article actually said this. Facebook fools our brain into believing that loved ones surround us. I don't know if that's kind of like sinking in. Facebook fools. It's not a good thing. Facebook fools our brain into believing that loved ones surround us. So when you go to that very hipster, awesome cafe where everything is upcycled and there's wood and stainless steel everywhere and you're like, man, this is picture perfect. And you order your $30 egg and salmon meal and it comes and you take a picture. How many of you know that in that cafe, no one is going to walk past you, look at what you're eating, pat you on the shoulder and say, well done, mate. You're eating clean. I like that gives you a thumbs up and walks off. We know that that doesn't happen in real life, but what we are really looking for on the inside, because we are addicted to affirmation, is that we are going through and putting on a construct of who we truly are. We are putting on this image that we want people to like, and we do that in order that someone will come into your life and say, I like that. That is what is happening. But if we are truly to do relationships the way that God has taught us, if we are to communicate the way that God is, is, is showing to us, we cannot be living for just simply the now. We actually need to build for the future. That same best friend that I spoke to you about, I want to tell you about how I met him. I didn't like him. I didn't like him. We, um, I, I was going to a, a church and I was on the youth band. I was only about 17 at that time and I was a lead guitarist, which doesn't mean much. It just means that I knew power chords. Back then in those days, we just were like rockers. It was awesome. Um, and my guitar was about there. It was like nice long arms. It still is around there, isn't it? Um, and and uh, yeah, it was, uh, Enrico had just... Um, moved across to Perth, and, and he came to, uh, to that church, and someone wanted to introduce him to me. I think it was actually my mom and dad. And they introduced him to me, and he immediately started talking about how to get on the band. And I was like, in my mind, immediately I switched into this place where this is going to be like a really annoying friendship. And uh, it's really interesting because now Rico is married and uh, the, the girl that he's married has a very same temperament and personality as me. And Rico actually has a very similar uh, personality and temperament to Beck. I'll leave it there. I can let you think about that yourself. Um, but he was energetic, enthusiastic, and it did not sit well with my phlegmatic self. <laughs> First impression. I was like, get away from me, you nutcase. Um, sorry, Rico, if you're listening to this, still love you. Um, but if I was simply wanting someone to like me and things to go my way, I would never have invested into a friendship. 
and I've never gotten to a place where he's been a rock in my life and he's poured so much into my life and I know that many times in my life I needed Rico to bail me out of, of, of a spot of an emotional uh, uh, dark place. We need to have relationships that build for the future. We need to have relationships that don't depend on how you feel on that day. We need to build relationships that are not just about you going in with your fake construct of who you are, with all your filters and all your little smart comments that you copied from a website that said, get 20% more likes. We need to live a life that is authentic and real. And that means that it's going to take time. And it's going to need you to be real in those relationships. In fact, if I can talk to you for a moment about something that might be a little bit harsh, but is absolutely true, and if you want real relationships, you will think about this. Matthew 12, 36 to 37. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Every careless word will be held to account. And so when we go into situations with people, when we tell that joke that really should come with an MA15 plus rating, you're going to be accountable for those words. When you're in a group setting and you're thinking of that comment about that, that is going to make you look really smart and cool and like the top dog, but it's actually going to be tearing someone down, those words are going to be accountable. You're going to be accountable for those words. And, and this is not a challenge that I'm telling you because I hear all of these stupid, careless words going around. This is for my life. I, I, I have a very sarcastic humor by nature. I love saying stupid jokes and, and, and I, I've torn down enough people in my time. But when I see this and I was hearing about this, I'm like, why do we do relationships where there's so many careless words? You know why? Because we're in it for the like, and we're not in it for the long haul. We're in it so that the person can say, you're actually doing okay, I like you. So the next time you're about to say something that has the potential to tear down instead of building up, remember you're not in it for the likes. It's not about the likes. It's not about the comments. It's not about the little ding that makes you happy. It's about saying, this person is a child of God, this person is valuable, and I have no right to say that. And if we take the time to think, I know we're all going to slip up. I know I'm going to slip up. I apologize in the head, uh, ahead of time because I'm probably going to offend all of you at some point. It's going to happen. I'm watching out for it, but it's probably going to happen. I remember one of my first times emceeing at Centerpoint Church, and I talked about a movie that I watched the night before, which was Hellboy. And Pastor Joel told me, you will never talk about Hellboy at church ever again. <laughs> I will offend people. I just say things. But the big thing about it is that let's do relationships that we are actually wanting to invest into. Let's do relationships in a way that we actually are honest and true to one another, where we actually dare to be real and we dare to be honest. The seven-month itch is probably coming into, uh, into Lift Church in the sense that 
you might get a little bit bored of what we're doing, setting up every Sunday, meeting the same people, and starting to see each other's flaws. We need to commit for the future and not just for the temporary likes. We need people to say, I'm willing to knuckle down because sometimes you're going to be rubbing each other up and you're going to hate it. But that's what happens. God places us in relationship so that people who truly know you see past your constructs, see past the images that you are putting up and see you into your soul and actually knows you and cares for you. And because they're not building for a light, but they're building for, a, for your future, they will tell you, mate, you need to deal with that. I love you too much to allow you to be the same. You see, in relationships where we're in it for the like, we're not going to talk truth. We're going to talk about fluff. We're going to talk about candy canes. And we're going to talk about things that make people happy. I don't want that kind of family. I don't want that kind of family that gets together and rubs shoulders and feels good and goes home and nothing changes. I want to have a family that is strong, that is united. I want a family that is growing. I want a family that is able to, to actually take territory in their lives. I want family that becomes strong leaders in their own right, but yet are still committed to being with one another so that for the greater good we can do something about yes. that and so we need to understand that conversations communication in real life is going to take you past your phone you've got to schedule it make it happen and then you need to understand that you're there to give and not just take and from there you're building for the future and not just for the now See, the thing about putting this message together is that it puts something really clear in my mind. It sounds easy, but these things are not. When you're face-to-face -face with someone that has annoyed you or that you just don't have time for right now, it's not as easy. And I know that with all the stuff in my life and all the habits that I've got, I don't always do this right. I don't always get this right. And in those times of need, I know that I need help from God. And God is the one that helps us to love. And one of the main ways that God helps us to do these relationships in this way is that He's modeled it. He's done it. And over Good Friday, we, we, we talked about how uh, God scheduled an encounter with, with us. He, at the perfect time, Christ came to earth. He, he put it in his diary. When this perfect time is here, he will be here. And in your life, even today, God is scheduling time to meet with you and to talk with you. The Bible tells us that God is never late. God is never held back. But he, at the perfect time, meets with you. He scheduled it into his calendar so that he can meet with you. He's done that. And then when he came, he knew it was going to be more about him giving than him taking. It's going to be easy for God to come in and just say, all right, all of you guys, you've done wrong. I'm going to get rid of you. Whereas you guys, you love me. You did well. All right, you can come and be a part of my family. No, no, no. There was actually an exchange happening. There was a give and take happening. But Jesus didn't take the good stuff. He actually took our sin and our shame. He took all of that stuff that we struggle with and instead he gives us grace. And he says, here, take this because you're going to need this and I'm going to be here for you. I'm going to be speaking into those desires. I'm going to be speaking into those needs. I want you to be able to live a full, abundant life. And finally, he was about building for the future.
See, Jesus, he was only 33 when he died. It's what some people would consider the prime of, the, of his life. In the space of five years, he's gathered a following of possibly up to tens of thousands of people. He's at the peak of his ministry, but he wasn't building for the likes. He wasn't building for you to go, oh, warm and fuzzy, I like that. He was building for your future. And so even though he was at the peak of his powers while on earth, he went to the cross and died for your sin to show you that your future and your eternal life is far more important than your likes. So because Christ has modeled it for me, I learned that I need to start to try. It's not always going to be easy, but it's going to be good. If we can get the band up this morning. Thank you for tuning in today. If you would like to find out more about Lyft, check out our website at theliftchurch.com.au.